Morning, church. How are you all today? For those of you who do not know me, I am not Jeff Resnick. <laughs> that's pretty obvious, but if you're a first-time visitor, maybe you didn't know that. I'm not the pastor. I'm just the fill-in this morning. My name is Tim Key. I'm the director of missions for the New Duck River Baptist Association. we got several names. Used to be associational mission director, then they changed it in the early 60s to director of missions, then they changed it again to something else. About two years ago, they changed it to now my official title, even though I go by anything you call me, hey you, whatever. Uh, my official title is associational mission strategist. For a group of churches, we network together. There are 42 churches in the area here, all Southern Baptists, uh, ranging anywhere from cowboy church to Spanish church to traditional church to contemporary church. There's a whole group of us just working together to further the kingdom here. And, and I am so thankful that you're a part of that group because God is doing some great things in our group. You know, we had this thing called <clears throat> COVID last year, you know, uh, that kind of messed everything up, you know, that COVID thing that we don't want to talk about anymore. It, it really did put a damper on church services. And, but I looked at it like this. It was an opportunity to get the church outside the box. Currently, the gospel is being preached in more places around the world than it has ever been preached before because we were forced to leave the comfort of the pew and get on social media, on Facebook, on YouTube, and I know y'all are, and there are people that for whatever the reason, it could be time, it could be distance, they could be traveling, they could be sick, they could be shut in. We don't know what the issue is, but they can't be with us today, but physically be with us, but they're with us spiritually all around the world. And, you know, we don't know how far that reached, but I think God used that because God is always at work around His people. We've just got to take the time to stop and listen and see where He's working and then join Him in that work. Join him in the God-sized assignments. And God has given our association of churches a big assignment. We've got three counties plus just parts of other counties where we are trying to further the gospel. So my, my responsibility with that is to help you come alongside you, especially the smaller churches that don't have youth pastors or education pastors or music pastors or even senior pastors to come along and help them uh, be more kingdom effective where God has chosen to place and plant them. And I want to share one testimony with you. You know, I've been here before and I've shared a lot about what's going on around the world through the association. I want to thank you for your going, for your praying, for your giving, for your cooperating in associational missions. And there's one big thing that since the last time that I was with you that's happened that I just want to bring you up to speed on. El Bethel Baptist Church in June of 2019 voted to close their doors. They'd been in existence for, two, for 154 years as a church up 41A. Many of you have passed by. You know where the little church is up there. Uh, and they were so saddened and, and, and hurt, and they just realized they couldn't carry on any longer. So they approached me and asked me, what can we do? And I made a promise, stepped out on a limb, and I said, our churches, our other churches in the association." We'll take your property, we will take the $78,000 debt, and what we're going to do is we're going to turn this property into a church planting and a language training center for Spanish, up-and-coming Spanish pastors. And I'm here to tell you this is what God has done 
since September of 2019, even amidst COVID. We got the church in September. Officially, we, we got the, a, new, a loan for it, and we actually received the bro- a property in early January of 2020. And you know that was right in the middle of all the stuff that was beginning to take hold with, with COVID. And it just, it just kind of, we didn't know what to do, but we just started praying. And some pastors got together, and they said, we're just going to pray, and we want to see God do some great things here. In nine months of COVID, the debt was paid off. During the first four months of COVID, two churches started meeting out there. We have a Hispanic church that meets out there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and we have a cowboy church that meets out there in the morning starting at 9 a.m. The last Sunday I was with that little church in June of 2019, there were 16 people present. On any given Sunday, you can go by there now, and there's right at or over 200 people that meet on that property every Sunday. Now, that's the God thing, okay? That's a God-sized assignment, and you're part of it. But even further than that now, we have a Spanish language training center out there that's teaching uh, theology and education courses and how to be a pastor to Spanish-speaking people. There are 12 men enrolled in that currently. And, and, you know, part of that was the church planning center. The Cowboy Church has already gone out and started two more churches. The Hispanic Church is starting an outreach Bible study as we speak this, this, this month down in Manchester to start a Spanish church down there. And as we get more and more of these men involved in their local regions and areas, First Baptist Church will have a Spanish ministry one day that comes from the ministry out there at 41A. So thank you so much for your giving, for your going, for your doing, for your praying, for your partnering. And uh, there's a lot of other... I could, t- I could spend the entire time that I've got this morning sharing with you what God has done and what God is doing around our association. But I'm here this morning to challenge you to be on mission wherever God chooses to place and plant you each day of your life, wherever you walk, the places you spend your time. could be Walmart, could be your job be school, wherever God chooses to place and plant you. I want to encourage you and challenge you today to go in with eyes wide open, ears listening for God to speak. I'll have to be honest with you, and some of you have heard me say this before, all I ever wanted to do in life was, was be a motorcycle mechanic. I mean, I grew up in North Alabama. I didn't want to do what I'm doing today. I never dreamed God would take me from that little coal mining community where I was the only male in my family that escaped the coal mines. My brother, his kids, my nephews, my, my uh, cousins, everybody in my family except for me works in the coal mines or worked in the coal mines. But there was, a, there was an event that happened on March the 31st of 1979 that changed this motorcycle mechanic want-to-be's heart and life. And I discovered a verse days after that, that became my life verse. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So in honor of God's word, reading of God's word, I want to ask that you stand and remain standing until we finish praying. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, just two verses, verses 1 and 2 this morning. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. I know each one of you read from different versions, but let me just read this to you. It starts out with a word which the New King James Version doesn't have, but it says... The very beginning word, it has it later. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Join me in prayer. Father, this, this, this verse has been the desire of my heart all my life is to live a life that would be pleasing to you, Lord. And, and Father, I pray this morning that as we look at this verse, as we look at these words, Lord, that, that you would just reach down and touch each one of us and give us, if we don't already have it, uh, a new desire to get closer to you. If we already are closer to you, that we would give each one of us a, a desire to be revived and to be stronger and to, and to go out throughout the world uh, listening to where you're at work so that we can join you there. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for Pastor Jeff. I thank you for the staff here. I pray, Lord, that you just continue to do the mighty work that you're doing through this church, not only in Shelbyville and Bedford County, but around the world. And Father, this morning, there are many churches around our area that, that are gathering together to study your word. And Father, I just want to ask that of the churches in our network that you would bless all those churches, but churches that are preaching the gospel elsewhere, Lord, wherever your word is proclaimed wherever the gospel is preached today. I pray, Lord, that you bless them. Father, your scripture says that before the words on my tongue came out, Lord, you knew every one of them completely. And I pray, Lord, now that as I speak today that you would guide my words, that you would speak to me as I speak to these folks, Father. And Lord, I pray that amongst all we hear today, the air conditioner, the sound system, coughing, pages, kids, whatever, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we hear the shuffling of sandaled feet as you pass our way. Touch us this day. Change us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Before we get to the meat of the message this morning, there's a thing that I like to, uh, to do. I call it tablecloth issues. It's it's things that we kind of need to know a little bit about this passage. There are things under the main setting of the scriptural meal that we're going to be taking today. And I call them tablecloth issues because they're there, they're kind of unseen, but you need to know about them. There are actually three of them here that we need to back up and look at before we look at these two verses. The first one is this. It's the background of Romans. Now, this is the audience participation part of our program. Who was the book of Romans written to? Oh, come on. Y'all can do better than that. Who was the book of Romans written to? Romans. Okay, you got that right. It's titled Romans. It was written to Romans. But more specifically, whenever we look at this, we've got to realize that God has called a man by the name, uh, a converted man, who was Saul, and when he converted on the road to Damascus, you know the story. If you don't look it up, Google it, whatever. The road to Damascus story where he had an encounter with Jesus Christ along the way, and God changed him. See, he was out to destroy the church. He was out. He was just as vile as they could be. He had a letter of, of written intent to go from, from village to village and city to city to take down this new church called the Christian church, the church of Jesus Christ, those of us who are part of that today. But he was not successful. God met him. 
Now his name's Paul. And Paul, the persecutor and killer of the new believers of Jesus Christ, in that encounter in Acts chapter 8, now became Paul, the preacher of Jesus Christ, to a specific group of people, which is the second tablecloth issue here. Who was the book of Romans written to? It was written to the Romans. But more specifically, not only was it written to the Romans, but what group of people in the Roman community did he write the book to? The churches. The churches there in Rome. The Christians, those of us today who call ourselves Christians, we are believers in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote that book of Romans to the Christians, the Gentile Christians in Rome. Now, up until this point in religious history or human history, however you want to look at it, up until this point, the only way to get to heaven was to follow the Jewish law. Sacrifices. All, you, you could either be born a Jew, a chosen people, or you could choose to join in with a group of chosen people. If you go back and look throughout the Old, whole Old Testament, you're going to see where others had the opportunity to be a part of the Jewish nation. But up until this point in history, general Gentiles were pagans. They had no chance whatsoever. Aren't you glad you serve a God of chances, of second chances, of third chances, of fourth chances, of multiple chances? So the first tablecloth issue, it was written to the Romans. The second tablecloth issue was, it was written for you and me, the Gentile church, the Gentile believers, the Gentile lost people, to come to faith in Jesus Christ and then understand what it really means to follow Jesus Christ. And that's the third basic tablecloth issue. The book of Romans is split in two basic parts. The first part is chapters 1 through 11. Okay, Chapters 1 through 11 up to verse 1 of chapter 12, chapter, chapters 1 through 11 is what I call, what we call, the theological perspective for the Gentiles to understand what's going on. Because they, no, they didn't know. All of a sudden, Christ is being preached around them, and they really didn't understand what it was all about. So Paul wrote an 11-chapter level to explain, a letter to explain to them the theological perspectives of what has happened on the cross through Jesus' life up to here so that we as Gentiles could have a part, so that they as Gentiles could have a part, so that the world, the Gentile world, could have a part of following Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So that's what we've got. We've got three basic tablecloth issues. It's written to the Romans, specifically the Gentile Romans, so that we would have a chance. And the theological argument there was he was giving them an 11-chapter uh, Bible study on the background of Christian theology. And then we get to chapter 12. Chapter 12, to the end of the book of Romans, is called the practical part of Romans. See, Paul gave them the theological reasons for and the history and the, the basic base to form their lives and live their lives on. Now he's saying, okay, Practically, this is how it looks. So we start in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and through the end of this, uh, this book to the Romans, all of the writing was about the practical, how you can live your life for Christ, 
how you can be encouraged to live. And that's what Paul was giving the Roman Gentiles and the Roman Christians, the Roman converts. He gave them encouragements on how to live the life of Christ and how to best be known as a Christian. So with that in point, with the tablecloth issues set, I want to look at three short basic points of these two verses that we all need to know in order to live practically and to listen practically and be on mission practically. The first one is this. In view of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The first part is a living sacrifice. Be a living sacrifice wherever God chooses to place and plant you. Remember, we now have an opportunity. We now have Jesus Christ. We now can go from where we are to where God wants us to be in Him with His power and with His preaching and with His teaching and with evangelism and with discipleship and live a life of sacrifice wherever God chooses to place and plant us. That means what we need to do is offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, this is where you kind of got to think about, you know, each one of us have a physical body that's in this room, and then that body encapsulates our mind, our spirit, of course, our legs, our hands, our arms, our feet, our, every part about us. Paul could have written in here, he said, of, he could have written, offer your minds as a sacrifice to God. He could have written, offer your heart. But no, Paul said, offer your body. Jesus just don't want your mind. Jesus just don't want your skills and your abilities. Jesus just don't want your feet and your hands. He doesn't want your voice. He wants all of you. Every bit of you. Only when you give your entire life to Christ, including your entire body to Christ, will you be giving a sacrifice a spiritual service, a reasonable act of worship, as some of the other translations say, a rational act of worship and service to Christ. Because Jesus wants all of you. He doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't want your things. He wants you. It's been said, and you've probably heard this before, people make excuses, well, I can't stand up in front of a group of people and teach or preach, or I can't be a missionary, or I can't, I can't. It's been said, God doesn't want your abilities. God wants your availability. If you are available to God, I can guarantee you one thing. He will use your abilities, but He will also give you other gifts and skills and abilities to do things that you didn't know you could do. I want to be a motorcycle mechanic. I'm, I'm pretty good mechanically with stuff. If I can take it apart, I can put it together, and it's going to work. Uh, my oldest son called me last week, and I've never worked on one of these. He said, Dad, uh, my weed eater locked up. So I, we did a little thing over the telephone and couldn't figure it out. So he brought it to me, and I'm looking at this thing, and I'm thinking, how do you take this thing apart? So I let's go start, start taking screws out of it. So I popped some screws out of it and put, took it apart and put it back together, and it runs great, you know. Now... How did I know how to do that? That's, that's, an, that's, a, gill, that, that's a, a skill that God has given me to do that I, you know, if I can take it apart, I can fix it. 
God will use your abilities. You know, you may not be able to take stuff apart and fix them. You may be able to work with wood. God can use that. You may be able to sit down and type at a, a computer. God, God can use you if you will be available to him to be used. This is what Eugene Patterson writes. He said, so here's what I want you to do with God's help. Listen to this. He writes, take your everyday, ordinary life. That is, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. God, I give you all of me. Use me. An offering plate was passed in an African village. I've heard this story before. And as it was going down, people were dropping just little bits of coins and things that they could in there. And it got to the end of the row. And there was a little boy sitting at the end of the row. And he asked, he said, can you lower it down a little bit lower? And the guy holding the offering plate didn't know what he wanted, so he lowered it down. No, 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 a little bit lower. He says, sir, son, what do you want? He says, I want to get in it. I want to give God all of me. God wants all of you. And he can use you. Last week I ran across something. And I thought it was real interesting. And every now and then, you know, I don't do a whole lot on Facebook. I post a scripture in the morning. That's about it, you know. But somehow or another, during the close of the day, I ran across this thing. And it was, a, it was an article. And some of y'all have probably seen it called Pale Blue Dot. Uh, I think his name was Carl Sagan, was the author of it and wrote it back in the late 70s, something like this, early 80s. Uh, maybe it was in the 90s. I don't remember. Anyway, forget the year. He wrote it, Okay. <laughs> But it was about the Voyager. Y'all remember Voyager 1 and Voyager 2? Those of you of us who are old enough to remember that, it was going to go out, take pictures of all the planets and this stuff and the other. Well, the last command that it gave it before it left our solar system, Voyager 1, was to turn back around and take a panoramic view of the solar system. It turned around. It took a panoramic view of the solar system. So you can go and you can look at each planet in the solar system. Something jumped out at me. The title of the article is Pale Blue Dot because the earth is the only blue planet that God placed in our solar system that's blue and where it is. But the amazing thing about it is if you look at this, you've got this little dot that's like one-fifth of a pixel in size, they say. But you've got, surrounding that little dot, you've got a ray of sunlight that goes all the way through it. And you've got the dot. And I was reading this week in my quiet time, and I came across this verse, Nehemiah chapter 9. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the heavens of the heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all that is in them, and the host of heaven worships you. Of all those pictures, our planet was the only one bathed in physical sunlight, but it's also bathed in spiritual Godlight. God gives you the opportunity to serve Him. This, this verse says, you made the heavens. That's what we can see, the clouds and things like that from here, the stars out. In the, but it also says, even the heavens of the heavens. And as you back up and look at all these pictures you're going to see in the future coming from these space... Telescopes, there are going to be some phenomenal pictures that are, and you've already seen some of them. Just remember, God made the heavens of the heavens. He made it all. 
So when you present yourself to the Lord, to the Father, and you seek Him and you worship Him, I encourage you to work hard to hear these words that Jesus said. That is, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not only should you live a sacrificial life, but number two, you should live a worshipful life. In view of God's mercy, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay, here we go. Holy and pleasing and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to be perfectly honest with yourself. and with You don't have to answer it out loud, but just, just think about this. Why are you here today? I mean, why did you come here? Was it tradition? Was it mom or dad dragged you here? Was it, this is where your grandparents came? Was it a habit? There are all those reasons why people come to church. But we need to be here to do what our first song said. You're the reason that I sing. I come here to worship you, Holy Father. Do you only worship Him on Sunday? Many do. God desires, God wants our worship every day of our lives. And He deserves it. He deserves it. He deserves it. We'll see in just a minute why He deserves it. But He deserves it. I encourage you and I challenge you, if you don't already have one, we're going to take, take this a little bit deeper in a minute, but if you don't have one, start spending time with the Father each day. And I'm not talking about on your drive to work. I'm not talking about the last thing you do before you close your eyes at night. I'm talking about sitting down at a table with a pen in hand, a notebook, and a Bible and read three chapters unrelated to one another. One from the Old Testament, one from the middle, one from the end, and just watch, us, just watch how God weaves all those together in your life. And you will worship Him because His Word is active. It's alive even today. And it speaks in ways that you just will not be able to imagine when you dive straight into it. Again, Peterson writes, Embrace what God does for you. That is the thing that is best that you can do for Him. So, it's a sacrificial life. It's a worshipful life. It is impossible to live a sacrificial life. It is impossible to live a worshipful life without doing the third thing that Paul gives us today, and that's living a life that's transformed, a transformational life. He writes, but be transformed. Then he tells us how to do it, by the renewing of your minds. Then he says, don't be conformed to the world around you. Our world is seeking to squeeze us into its mold. But that's not God's mold. God's mold is to live your life, every day of it, looking like Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, over in Colossians, 
It was kind of one of those things that was a mocking thing, but over in Colossians, the, the, the new believers in this way, this Christ guy, were called Christians in Colossae as kind of a mocking uh, symbol. Oh, look at them little Christians. Because they look like Jesus, they act like Jesus, they talk like Jesus, they went places Jesus did, they shared God the way Jesus did, they spent time with the Father. Jesus modeled in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all the things that we need to be doing when it comes to living a life of Christ. And you get over in Colossae, in Colossians, in the book there, and these people are going, ah, there's a bunch of Christians, there's a bunch of... And you know what? It's coming around again today. In some places around the world, Christians are already mocked. They're already killed. They're already murdered. They're already sacrificed. And, and I pray that it doesn't come to our country, but the most thriving Christian nations around the world the fastest growing Christian communities around the world are coming in areas where persecution is the greatest. And slowly but surely, we are being persecuted. So my challenge to you, I said this a few minutes ago, is to begin, to, to begin developing your time with the Father so that you can hear Him speak and be used by Him wherever He chooses to place and plant you. I said three chapters a day. Let me just share with you what, how I do it. I wake up in the morning, I go to the office, and, and I follow the example of Jesus. Now, not many of us can do that or want to do that, but Jesus, several passages over in Mark, it says very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus went out to a place by himself, and there he prayed. You know, He knew the Word. He grew up in the Word. He prayed. He spent time with the Father by himself away from any other obstruction whatsoever. And I want to encourage you to do that. It's hard to do. But if you do it 21 days, you develop a pattern. But I want you to make a commitment to yourself. And some of y'all may have done this back in January for your New Year's resolution. You say, I'm going to start reading the Bible every day. I'm going to read through the Bible in one year. Whatever it is, you know. And you fell off along the way somewhere. The devil was good at putting roadblocks in the way and stumbling blocks and things to keep you from doing what you know you need to be doing whenever it comes to having, living a transformed life. But I want to encourage you and challenge you to just start tomorrow. you got to prepare tonight, okay? Wherever you're going to do this, whether it's in a closet, you know, whether it's in your office space, whether it's at home in the bathroom or in a spare bedroom, wherever it is, when you get home, you get your Bible, you get a notebook, you get a pencil or pen, and you write down these two questions. What is God saying to me? Number two, how am I going to respond? You sit down and you say, okay, Father, I'm going to try this. I'm going to read Genesis 1, Psalms 1, and Matthew 1. Matthew 1 is the genealogy. Go to John 1, okay, to start out with. So you got, you're going to do Genesis 1, Psalms 1, and John 1, okay? And before you start reading, you're going to say, okay, Father, I want you to speak to me. First of all, you've got to come clean. Forgive me, Lord, for any sins that I've committed so that those walls are broken down, so that now I can speak to you and that I can hear you speak to me. Okay? Then ask the questions. What's God saying to me through this? And how am I going to respond? Read it. Read one chapter in John, uh, Genesis, one chapter in Psalms, one chapter over in John, and then just start writing. What you saying to me, God? 
To start out with, it may be a little rocky and you may not understand what's going on, but let me tell you what, if you do that long enough, God's going to start weaving His Word together and things are going to start coming together and His path and your path are going to intersect and you're going to be able to hear God say something throughout the course of the day or the week or the month or whatever. And if you obey that, you're going to experience God because God speaks through His Word, through prayer, through circumstances in your life, and through others connected to the vine so that you can hear Him, know Him, understand Him, and when you follow and obey Him, you will experience Him. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to start it, to do it. Just begin living a transformed life. Peterson again writes this. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, and we do that, it's been said that if you line up ten pagans on one wall and ten Christians on the other wall, eight of those ten Christians look like all ten of those pagans. We live in the world. We shouldn't live like the world. You hear that? We live in the world. We should never live like the world. Because when you live like the world, the world looks at you and says, I don't need that. And then they spend a Christless eternity in a place called hell. Peterson, don't become so well-adjusted to your life, to your culture, that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you. And you will if you start reading three chapters and spending time with Him each day. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Don't argue with God when God tells you to do something. You've heard the story about the Eskimo kid that if I'd stood there and argued with God on that one, he would have committed suicide. Don't argue with God. Respond to it. Unlike the cultural around you, always dragging you down to their level of immaturity, God will bring the best out of you. God will develop you into a well-formed, mature believer in Jesus Christ. And He will use you. I'm reminded of this daily that if I spend time with the Lord, I will find ways to be used by Him throughout the course of the day. Several years ago, I heard this story about an old gentleman and his elderly wife riding down a country road in their pickup truck, and they pulled up behind another pickup truck that had this young couple in it, and they were sitting real close together. And the lady looked over at her husband and says, Honey, do you remember when we used to, ain't that so sweet? Do you remember when we used to do that? We'd sit real close together and snuggle up going down the road, and he's sitting over there thinking about it, and he responds, he says, Yep, I ain't moved. God ain't moved. God is right where you last met him. Go snuggle up with him. Go spend some time with him. So those are the three points, okay? Sacrificial life, worshipful life, transformational life. But there is one more thing. And I don't want us to leave today before we see this. Remember I told you chapters 1 through 11 were the chapters that were considered the theological, question, uh, theological chapters there? Well, there's a thing at the end of chapter 11 that... I didn't write this, Paul wrote this, but if I'd written it, I probably would have written 
uh, verses 33 through uh, 36 after chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. But Paul did things a little backwards here because this is why we want to live a sacrificial life, a worshipful life, and a transformational life. And this is called Paul's doxology or Paul's ending to his theological section. Look at it with me for just a second. Verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches of both God and of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that he might be paid back again? Listen to this first. Let this sink in. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever and ever. For of him and to him and through him. What does that mean? Everything exists because of God. Without God, we would not exist. Without God, there would have been no creation. Without God, you look at your loved ones, they wouldn't be here. Your kids, they wouldn't be here. I ran across this verse this morning in my quiet time. Psalms chapter 139, verses 1 through 4. Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Before a word is even on my tongue, O oh Lord, you know it completely. And then there's Psalms chapter 8, my favorite Psalms. starts out, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It ends with, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It begins and ends with the same verse, and in the middle of it it says, But who is, mine when I, who is man when I consider the work of your hands? Who is man that you are even mindful of him? That little blue dot. That, sun red, that sunshine flowing through it. We are to be light wherever God chooses to place and plant us. You've heard me say this before. I think you have. In our area, there are upwards of 75% that do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They don't attend church. They don't have any church background whatsoever to mount to anything. Up to 75%. They think they do, but they really don't. They think they just live a good life and live it better, do more good than bad, and you're going to get there. That's, what, that's not what the Scripture says. Jesus Christ said, I am the only way. I am the truth. I'm the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me, Jesus Christ. Of those 75%, 89% of those people know a Christian. Only 8% of those Christians actually share Jesus Christ. 91% of the people around you, if you ask them, to attend a Bible study, a men's meeting, a youth meeting, a children's meeting, vacation. 91% would come because they're spiritually seeking. In closing, I want to read a portion out of Ed Lutzer's book, When a Nation Forgets God. 
In at least one German town, the railroad tracks ran behind the church, an eyewitness said. We heard the stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because we felt, what can anyone do to stop it? Each Sunday morning, we would hear the train whistle blowing in the distance, then the wheels coming over the tracks, and we became disturbed when we heard the cries coming from the train as it passed by. We realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in cars. Week after week, we heard the whistle blow. We dreaded to hear the sounds of those wheels because we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train was coming, and when we heard the whistle begin to blow, we started singing hymns in church. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams of the people in the cattle cars, we sang even more loudly, and soon we heard them no more. Years have passed, and no one talks about it now. But I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. We've got to wake up, church. Thousands pass us each day on a cattle car headed to hell. We can do something. We can do something. We've got to do it. Closing, my challenge to you is begin with one. Think of one person in your family, at your work, wherever, one person. And for the next 30 days in your quiet time, I want you to pray for one person. One person. And as you pray, you ask God to give you the words. You ask God to give you the heart. You ask God to give you the courage to either invite them or share Jesus with them. Just one. What would happen if every one of us in here did that? And that one came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We'd double immediately. And if we did it again, and again, and again, we could begin to reach our world where God has planted us. Who's your one? Start your